text this morning while you're, while you're standing, save you sitting and then standing again, all that sort of thing. It's good to be here. Uh, I got to meet uh, the Pearson family, brother Daniel and his family, wife and children, out there at that meeting in Oklahoma. That was a blessing. And uh, he's just a mess, isn't he? There's no other way to describe him. I guess that's okay to describe him like that. He's a blessing. I enjoyed his company. He's a bit crazy, but that's okay. And uh, sad, he's, sad they're not here today, but I'm glad they're out serving the Lord. Matthew chapter 20, and notice verse 29 through the end of the chapter, if you would please. Matthew 20 and verse 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still, and called them, and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Let's pray. My Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning and uh, thankful for these dear brethren that are gathered together. We're thankful for the church family of God. And uh, Lord, we just ask and pray, would you be pleased to bless the reading of your word to each and every heart. And Lord, I ask and I pray that you be honored and glorified, Christ to be magnified, Sinners would be challenged and saints would be encouraged and that your perfect will would be accomplished here today. Lord, do pray for Brother Daniel while he's out ministering. Pray you bless him and his family, be with them. And Lord, pray you be with my family while they're in church this morning. Pray your good hand of grace would be upon them. Lord, we're thankful for your tender mercies and your kindness. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It is a blessing to be with you this morning. We are missionaries to Australia, my wife and I and two daughters. Uh, my, I'm, as you can tell from my accent, born and raised in Australia, was saved in Australia under the ministry of American missionary. Uh, my wife was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. She's a Tennessee girl. She first came to Australia when she was three in 1981. Her parents were missionaries in Australia for 30 years, and uh, we've been missionaries in Australia since about 2007, 2008 and been serving the Lord there. And as the pastor said, uh, there's a, all, a lot more information there that it shared during Sunday school. Encouraged to go back and, and look at it. And if you have any questions, and uh, more than willing to answer any of them after the service, and we please do grab a prayer card. And uh, I make our prayer cards like a bookmark. And I had a, had a preacher uh, send me a picture. He'd had a bookmark for 17 years He'd had my prayer card in his Bible, using it. And that's a good way to use it. I encourage you to do that because then you'll, you'll see our ugly faces every day and you might be inclined to have compassion on us and pray for us on a daily basis. All right, let's get into the message this morning. We've, we've read our text in Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 through verse 34. And I want, to, I want to draw your attention, first of all, to the scene that we have set before us. And in this scene, we, we have the place. Notice the place, if you would, please. It, notice it says here in verse 29, And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. The place where this scene is set is a city or a town of, called Jericho. Jericho is just north of the Dead Sea. On the, it's on the banks of the Jordan River. It, 
It's actually situated on the, on the plains, the fertile plains of the River of Jordan. And Jericho was known for, the word Jericho is, is, means a place of great fragrance. And it's a very important city, probably second only to Jerusalem in the area. It was known for its large markets on a weekly basis where they sold balm and honey, cypress and roses and resins and all sorts of different things. And uh, it was a very fertile place. They grew a lot of things like fruit, veggies. It was a great marketplace. It was a very busy place. It was known for its palm trees in the fertile plains of the River of Jordan where it was situated. So it it was a lovely place, beautiful place, a place of great multitude, busy place. And uh, you drive through Cincinnati and drive up through Kentucky and into Ohio and you come through different places and you, you come here into coming down that, that, um, that, that, that road, coming down into coming across the bridge, coming into, into Cincinnati. I guess that's where we're coming into and we're coming into Ohio. And uh, there's a lot of beautiful places. It's a very interesting view there as you're coming down across that river and see the stadium there coming into the city and it's a busy place, a lot going on, and a bit like Jericho, a lot happening. And uh, wherever there's a, uh, a lot of important things happening, markets and people buying and selling, what you got, you got a lot of people. So in this scene we got set before us, we got the place of Jericho, an important place, a busy place. But in that place, I want you to notice the people. And if, if anything's what's the most important about any kind of ministry is not the place that you're at, but the people that are in the place. And here you are, you're in Cincinnati. What's not important is the place of Cincinnati. What's important is the people of Cincinnati. And what's important is not Australia, but what's important is the people of Australia. And what we have here is what's not important is Jericho. It's not the place that's necessarily important, but it's the people that are in the place. And I want you to notice the people, if you would, please, as we just consider the scene. The place is Jericho, but let's read on in verse 30. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, and when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. So I want you to notice three groups of people that are mentioned here, three people, people groups in this passage. Number one, there's Jesus. We see that Jesus left Jericho. And Jesus, in my estimation, in my opinion, is the most important individual in this story, in this account of what happened here. The blessed Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, manifest on the, in the flesh, been here on earth for 33 years. He was coming down to the very end of his ministry, his earthly ministry that really only lasted about three years. And here he is at the very end of his earthly ministry, He's, he's in Jericho, he's been in Jericho, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and the re, the, where he's headed, he's headed to Jerusalem. What's in front of him is the cross. He's headed to Jerusalem, and in not, not too many days from this point, he is to be crucified and slain at the cross of Calvary. But here we have Jericho, but not, not we have Jesus, but not only do we have Jesus, I want you to also notice that what was following Jesus was a great multitude. A great multitude of people followed him. And along with following him, uh, amongst that great multitude, who's sitting on the the highway side, 
was two blind men sitting there. One was named Bartimaeus, and we see that over in a corresponding passage in Mark chapter 10. So we've got Jesus. He's leaving Jericho, heading to Jerusalem. We've got this great multitude that's following Jesus. And then in amongst that great multitude, just outside of Jericho, we have two blind men sitting on the side of the road, and they're sitting there begging. And what I want you to do, what I want to do is I want to just concentrate on these three people groups and try and preach some truths out of these three different people groups that we see. I want us to notice, first of all, let's focus in on Bartimaeus. And if you, if you notice, if you would please, hold your place here in, in Matthew chapter 20, but turn over to Mark chapter 10, if you would. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. I want you to notice what it says here. These blind, one of these blind men is identified in Mark chapter 10 and verse 46. It says, They came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, uh, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. So here we have Bartimaeus. Now the name Bartimaeus literally means the unclean. That's what his name means. Bartimaeus, the unclean. Now, if that doesn't represent a sinner, I don't know what does. You and I are unclean, filthy, vile sinners in the sight of a holy, righteous God. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Not some of your righteousnesses, not some of my righteousnesses, but all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Everything that I have that I might think is righteous to present to a thrice holy God is nothing but unrighteous and filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. And here we have this blind beggar, Bartimaeus, He's sitting on the highway side of life and he's sitting there. And I want you to notice a couple of things about Bartimaeus. Number one, I'd like you to notice his plight. Bartimaeus' plight as an unclean man sitting on the highway side, he had a plight. He He had a predicament. He was in distress and he found himself in a certain situation. Number one, in regards to his plight back in Matthew chapter 20 or in Mark chapter 10, whichever one you want to be in, I want to point out to you the fact that he, his plight was that he was blind. Not only was he unclean, but he was blind. He could not see. He had no vision. He could not see what he needed to see. And that's about, I've never been blind, but uh, there was a day as I was chewing over this thought of being blind, I was sitting in a motel and uh, I, I, I got a blindfold, I, I got a piece of clothing and uh, I put it over my eyes and I put a blindfold on. You might think that's kind of weird. Well, I'm kind of weird. And so uh, I, I put a blindfold on and, and then I, I, I'm, I'm trying to operate as a blind person. And I beat my shins and I, I run into things and I, I drop things and I couldn't find things. And, you know, being blind is a desperate situation. And I, I couldn't imagine what it's like to either be born blind physically 
or to to lose my sight after I had it. I, that would be a, an awful thing to have to go through. And uh, But Bartimaeus, he was blind. And from all accounts, he was born blind. And he never did have sight. And here's the reality. If you're lost this morning, you're blind. You are spiritually in darkness. You cannot see afar off. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine under them. I didn't get saved. The Lord didn't save me until the age of 22. And for 22 years, I stumbled around in spiritual darkness. I was spiritually blind and I could not see spiritual truth. I could not understand anything spiritually. I couldn't see anything eternally because I was spiritually blind, just like Bartimaeus. And if you're lost here this morning, the reality is your plight is that you're spiritually blind. You cannot see until God opens your eyes and helps you see. And you, you were that way until God saved you. There was a time in your life that you were spiritually blind and you could not see. Acts chapter 26 and verse 18 puts it this way, uh, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan under God, that they may receive forgiveness of their sins. The reality is when we're blind spiritually, we're under the dark power of Satan. And in order to be saved and in the process of salvation and in the process of God opening our spiritual eyes, we're turned from the darkness of Satan to the marvelous light of God. What a wonderful truth that is. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 18 puts it this way. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, that the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Praise God, I'm glad that there was a day at the age of 22 that the eyes of my understanding were opened, and praise God for that. But if, if God's never enlightened the eyes of your understanding, if God's never birthed you anew of the spirit, you are spiritually blind and your plight, just like Bartimaeus is, you cannot see. You may be able to see physically. You may say, preach, I don't understand what you're saying. I can see you standing right in front of me. You can, you, you can see physically, but you cannot understand and you cannot see spiritually until God births you anew and gives you some spiritual eyes to be able to see things spiritually. The natural man receives not the things of the spirit. And until you get given some spiritual eyes, you just can't see. Can, can you go, those of you that are saved, can you go back in your mind before you were born again? And you can, can you remember how you just didn't understand? You just didn't get it. I can't. And people are trying, they, they'd bring the Bible perhaps and they'd open the Bible up and they'd show you biblical truth and they're like, don't you see it? No, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. That's because you, you, you're dead, number one, but you're blind in your deadness. And Bartimaeus, he was blind. His plight was that he was blind. But not only was he blind, notice in Mark chapter 10, verse 46, notice what it says here, Mark chapter 10 and verse 46, not only was he blind, but notice what it says, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. So here we find, number one, that he's blind. Number two, in regards to Bartimaeus, we see that he was begging. Why do people beg? 
People beg because they need something they don't have. Bartimaeus had a need that he could not meet in and of himself. Nobody begs on the street because they want to. Nobody begs on the street because they have everything they need. When was the last time you saw a millionaire standing on a street corner begging? They don't do that because they don't have a need. But people stand on a street corner or under the bridge or at the traffic lights and they stand out there and they beg to be given something because they have, they have a need that they themselves cannot. And we won't get into the politics of all that. I'm trying, I'm trying to see your illustration, make a spiritual application. Spiritually speaking, if you're lost, you're not only blind, but you're a beggar. You have a need that you in and of yourself cannot meet. And for me, as a lost man up until the age of 22, I was a spiritual beggar. I had all these spiritual needs that in and of myself I could not meet. And if you're lost here this morning, you've never been regenerated, you've never been converted, you've never been born again, you've never been saved by the good grace of God, you're not only blind spiritually, but you're also a beggar. You have spiritual needs that you cannot meet yourself. You just cannot do it. It doesn't matter how doesn't matter how much you grunt, doesn't matter how much you groan, doesn't matter how much you strain, there is nothing you can do in and of yourself to meet the spiritual needs that you have. It takes the grace of God to save a sinner. And it not works lest any man should boast. There's nothing you can do. It takes God to save a sinner. And here's Bartimaeus, he's sitting there, and he's begging. He's, he's, he has, he, here's, here's the thing about a lost person. They have a darkened mind, a deceptive heart, and a dying body. And that's the picture of a beggar. Darkened mind, deceptive heart, and a dying body. That was me for 22 years. I didn't see myself that way. I didn't realize I had a darkened mind. I didn't realize I had a deceptive heart that was deceiving me at every turn. And it wasn't until a little bit later on that I, I got confronted with death as a young person and, and I realized that death has come. If you're lost here this morning, the reality is that you have a darkened mind, you have a deceptive heart, you have a dying body, and you're in a desperate situation and you're, you have a... Uh, a situation that you, in and of yourself, you cannot meet the needs of that. It'll take a God and a, a thrice holy God to meet that need. So he sees plight. He's blind and he's begging. But secondly, in, in regards to Bartimaeus, would you notice, would you please notice back in Matthew chapter 20, uh, in verse 30 and verse 31, I'd like you to notice his plea. And everyone that has a plight, usually has a plea that comes along with that plight. They, they've got a need, they, they, they're in this situation, and therefore they have a plea, they have a cry. They, they're crying out. They, they have an appeal. They have a prayer. And notice what Bartimaeus' cry was. Notice what his appeal was in verse 30, if you would please. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, there's his plea, he cried out saying, here it is, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. I'll tell you what Bartimaeus' cry was. He said, his plea, his, his cry, his appeal, and his prayer 
to Jesus and to the multitude that were listening was have mercy on us. He was, he was in need of compassion. He was in need of mercy. He, he recognized his situation. He recognized his plight. He recognized he was blind. He recognized he had a need that he himself could not reach and meet. And, meet. and so he has a plea and he's crying out and he's crying that someone would have compassion and have mercy upon him. I'm glad when God broke in upon me and convicted me of my situation and the condition that I was in, I'm glad that through his long suffering, I come to a place where I cried out for mercy and I found a God of mercy. I found a God that had compassion upon me. Psalm 25 and verse 16 says, Turn thee unto me and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. And that's exactly where Bartimaeus was. And if you're lost here this morning, that's exactly the situation that you're in. And you need, to, you need God to open your eyes. You need God to show you your plight. And you need to come to a place where you realize that you're in need of compassion and mercy at the hands of a thrice holy God. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his compassion. They, his compassions fail not. They are new Every morning, thank God for the compassions of God. Thank God when I come to him as a convicted sinner and I, can, and I was convinced of my lost state, when I approached him in repentance and faith, he had compassion upon me. He had mercy towards me. Thank God for that. Luke chapter 18 and verse 13. You remember the publican and the rich man and the publican? The publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God... Be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a great place for you to come as a sinner, to come to a place of crying out for mercy. Crying out for mercy. And here he is, Bartimaeus. He's sitting on the highway side just out there, just outside of Jericho. And just outside of Jericho, uh, they're, they're heading out there. And you might, you might picture a dirt road people walking past there, donkeys going back and forth, whatever, people walking there. He's sitting there in the dust. He's blind. He's got his mate there with him, got his friend there with him. They're sitting there begging, and they hear Jesus is coming along. And, uh, and so they cry out. They lift up their voice, and they cry out for mercy. They cry out for compassion. I want to say to you this morning that the, the great need of every lost soul is mercy. I'm glad the preacher had mercy on me that Wednesday night I went to church and preached on hell under the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad that he, he was moved with compassion towards me to warn me about my, my plight. And then I'm glad that God made that real to me by the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm glad that when I responded to that, God moved towards me in mercy and compassion and saved my soul and converted me and translated me from darkness into his marvellous light. Do you see Bartimaeus this morning? He's in a desperate situation. And he's crying out. Have mercy. Have mercy. That's what he's crying out. Notice secondly, if you would please, notice the multitude. Notice it in verse 29. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. Notice what it says in verse 31. And the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. They cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son 
of David. And up in verse 29, we see a great multitude followed Jesus. I want, to, I want you to notice two things about this multitude. And here's Jesus, he's leaving Jericho, and he's heading down that dirt track, and he's heading into the hills that are separate Jericho and Jerusalem, and he's heading down outside of Jer- Jericho, heading to Jerusalem, and in his mind, he's heading, towards, he's heading towards Calvary, he's heading towards the cross, he knows everything that's laid out before him, he knows where he's headed, and while he's headed that way, and while he has all that on his heart and on his mind, he's, he's leaving Jericho, there's a great multitude of people that's following Jesus. Now I want to say to you this morning, there's a number of different reasons why people followed Jesus. Some people followed Jesus because they loved Jesus. And I hope you're here this morning because you love Jesus. There's no other reason, there's no other good motive to be here other than you're here because you love Jesus. And that's a good, that's a good motive. To be, and it's a good motive to be a Christian. It's a good motive to, to read your Bible. It's a good motive to hand out gospel tracts. It's a good, good motive to be salt and light in your community. It's a, good, it's a good motive to be involved in missions simply because, for no other reason than you love Jesus. And you know, in this multitude that were following Jesus, there were some that followed him because they had great affection for him and they loved him because they knew who he was in spirit and in truth. And they genuinely loved Jesus. And thank God for the multitude millions on this earth that followed Jesus because they loved Jesus. Praise God for the church of God. But you know, if you read your Bible, you've got to be honest, there's, there's other reasons that people followed Jesus. There was a group that followed Jesus, not because they loved him, but they followed him for the loaves. In John chapter 6 and verse 26, says, I say unto you, you seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. There are some people that come to church because of what they can get out of church. There are some people that claim the name of Jesus because it's beneficial to claim the name of Jesus. It's, it's good for them socially. It's good for them in the family. It's good for them in the workplace or, or whatever. They, and there's, there's people in, in the Bible, they follow Jesus, not because they love Jesus, but they followed Jesus because Jesus was feeding them loaves of bread. It, it, they didn't have any affection for Jesus. They just liked what they got out of Jesus. That's not a good reason to follow Jesus. But I want to say to you, in this multitude, no doubt there was individuals that followed Jesus because they loved him, but no doubt there was mixed in that multitude a group of people because of what they were getting out of Jesus. As they followed along in that crowd, they were getting a feed, they were getting this, they were getting that, and they were getting things from following Jesus. But some followed him for love, some followed him for the loaves. And thirdly, I'd, I'd like to say to you, point out to you here, that some followed him for a look, simply out of curiosity. There was a great multitude that followed Jesus. You look there again in chapter 6, in that process there. It started off with a great multitude, went down to 70, went down to 12. By the time he got to the cross, none of them followed him. But there, there was people that followed Jesus because they loved him, people that followed Jesus because of the loaves, and others followed him just for a look, just out of curiosity. And you know, sometimes you have people, they come in here and they, they park in the, in, the, in the parking lot and they walk in these doors and they come and sit on this pew and they come in here just to see what's going on. We had that in Australia. They, they, they come along and they sit in the church. They're not there because they love Jesus. They're not there even trying to get anything out of us. They're just there because they're curious. I wonder what's going on in there. And you see that in the ministry of Jesus. 
people come along just for a look. So we see this multitude and we see their practice was, the practice of this multitude was to follow Jesus. But I want to point out not only their practice was to follow Jesus, I'd like to point out to you their passion. Notice it in verse 31. They're following Jesus. I'm trying to paint this picture. Here's Jesus. He's leaving Jericho. Two blind men sitting on the wayside. They're crying out for mercy. They weren't blaspheming God. They weren't ridiculing Jesus. They weren't mocking Jesus. They weren't ridiculing the disciples. They were simply crying out for mercy. They were saying, somebody have compassion on us. Notice the, notice the passion of the multitude was misdirected. Notice what they said. The multitude, uh, no, verse, verse, uh, verse 31, and the multitude rebuked them because they should hold their peace. Here's a, a multitude of people following Jesus and as sinners sitting on the wayside are begging because they have a plight and they have a need that they cannot meet, they're crying out for mercy and the multitude in response to these poor beggars crying out for mercy was, how about you shut up? Hold your peace. Shut your mouth. Be, that's not dignified. Be quiet, would you? Their passion was misdirected. They, they were more interested in, they were interested in Jesus. They were interested, maybe it was because they loved Jesus. Maybe it's because they were looking for loaves. Maybe because they were curious what see what was going on. What, whatever reason, the multitude in response to the plea of the sinner of Bartimaeus sitting on the highway side was hold your peace. Be quiet. Hush. They rebuked them. They showed no mercy. They had no compassion. They showed no pity to Bartimaeus and his blind friend sitting there crying out for mercy. Now, there's been times I've been on the street and, you know, you hand out gospel tracts, hold a sign, whatever. People ridicule you. They mock you. They say mean things or whatever. And, you know, there's, I've got to be honest with you, sometimes I don't feel real compassion towards them. Sometimes I don't have real pity towards them. Sometimes I get a little mad. And you might say, well, that's not very spiritual. Well, sometimes I'm not very spiritual. Sometimes I battle with my flesh, right? And we all do that. But what I'm saying is these two individuals sitting on the highway side, they weren't blaspheming. They weren't ridiculing. They weren't mocking. They were crying. They were just saying, have mercy. Show us some compassion. And the multitude rebuked them. Brethren, we need to be careful about this. We really do. Go with me, if you would, please, to 2 Kings chapter 4. Over here in 2 Kings chapter 4, this is a really good illustration. Here we have the Shunammite woman. You might remember her and Elisha and his, and his servant, Gehazi. And uh, we won't go through all the story for the sake of time. We'll just bring you down. We'll just jump in here at verse 24, 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 24. Just trying to illustrate this thing of compassion. Notice what it says here in verse 24 of 2 Kings chapter 4. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. Now her son had fell ill and died. And here she is, she's heading, to, heading back to Elisha. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. 
And it came to pass when the man of God saw her afar off, Elisha saw her coming afar off, that he said to Gehazi, his servant, he said, hey, Gehazi, behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Elisha recognized her and he said, hey, Gehazi, have a look at this. That Shunammite woman, she's coming. And he said, run now. Elisha said to Gehazi, run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, is it well with thee? Seems like Elisha's having some compassion and concern towards her. And she, and she says in response, it is well with thy husband. Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with child? And she answered, it is well. And she came to the man of God to the hill. She caught him by the feet. So here's this Shunammite woman. Gehazi's met her. He, she's, he's asked, is all well? She said, all's well. She gets to Elisha. She falls at his feet, lays hold of his feet. Notice how Gehazi responds. Notice it now. And when, when she came to the man of God, to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. The man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. And she went on and told him. He's Gehazi, he's, he's showing no compassion, he showed no mercy, he's, got, he's laid hold of her to thrust her away, and throw her off the man of God. And Elisha says, hold on now. Her spirit is vexed. Something's, she has a need. Something's wrong. Just wait a little minute. God hasn't shown me what it is. Let's hear her out. What I want to say to you is this. A lot of times, what we do, a lot of times we, we hand people over to the mercy of God and show no mercy ourselves. Christians all over the world are guilty of that. We've experienced the mercy of God and someone's got a need and we say, well, God, be merciful to you. I'm not going to be, but I pray God is to you. You know, that, that's not how we ought to be operating, but that, I'm, what I'm trying to draw your attention here. That's how the multitude operated. They showed no compassion. They showed no mercy towards these blind beggars. Lastly, this morning, go back with me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter Matthew chapter 20, we've seen Bartimaeus, we've seen his plight, we've seen his plea, we've seen the multitude, we've seen their practices to follow Jesus, we see their passion was misdirected. But I want you to notice Jesus, and this is just beautiful, I love this. Notice Jesus. Let me remind you again that upon his heart and upon his mind, is Calvary. He's going to bear the sin of all humanity upon his shoulders. He's going to be whipped. He's going to be abused. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be nailed to the cross. He's going to be forsaken. That's what's on his mind. That's what's on his heart. He's leaving Jericho. He's headed to Jerusalem. Notice verse 30. The first thing about Jesus I'd like you to notice is that he passed by. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside when they heard that Jesus passed by. That's a profound statement. 
the fact that Jesus, out of everywhere on earth, everywhere on the entire globe, Jesus passed by, right by these two blind beggars. Um, in the providence of God, on his way to Calvary, he passed by these two sinners in need. I'm glad that in the providence of God that Jesus passed by my way in May of 2000. Aren't you glad that Jesus passes by? The only, if you're saved this morning, the only reason you're saved was in the providence of God there was a day he passed by your way and your paths crossed. Thank God for that day that Jesus passed by and arrested my mind and arrested my heart and I got word that Jesus was passing by. Someone told, someone told Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus couldn't see, but he asked, Who, what's going on? What's the commotion? And they said, it's Jesus. They heard that Jesus passed by. Faith cometh by hearing. They heard, and then he responded by faith. Thank God Jesus passes by. I'm glad Jesus passed by that day. And he's on his way to Jerusalem. Not only did he pass by, but notice what happened in verse 32. He paused. Jesus stood still. Jesus didn't just pass by and keep walking. He, he had every earthly right. All of that that was on his heart and his mind. Everything that was laying before him. In just a few short days, he was going to go through hell itself. But here's these two blind beggars. He hears them crying out. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus didn't just keep walking, but I see Jesus, he's walking his way, kicking up dust on his way out of Jericho, walking down that dirt track. Bartimaeus and his mate standing there, sitting there, begging, crying out for mercy. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, he crucified. Jesus paused. He stopped. The multitude said, hold your peace. But in amongst all that sound, in amongst the multitude, in amongst the rebuking, in amongst the sound of the animals and the walking and all that's going on, Jesus heard the cry of two sinners. And he responded by pausing. He stopped. I'm glad that Jesus didn't just pass by my way and just keep on going. I'm glad that he passed by. But when I cried out for mercy, he paused. In, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 49, it's the disciples. Oh, let's have a look at Mark chapter, Mark chapter 10 and verse 49. It says that Jesus stood still and he commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. Oh, praise God for that day that Jesus passed by. But I thank God for that day that he paused and he called me unto himself. He said, right, he said, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And I'm glad that there was a day that I heard the call of the Holy Ghost of God calling to me and drawing me under Jesus. And the reality is, if Jesus hadn't come seeking me and Jesus hadn't come calling me, I wouldn't have gone seeking him and I wouldn't have gone calling on him. Is that right? I'm glad he passed by, but I'm glad he didn't just pass by. I'm glad he paused. And when he paused, he said, come here. Oh, praise God. Praise God for the mercies and the compassions 
of a pitiful Lord. He passed by, he paused, but notice thirdly in relation to Jesus, he had pity. Notice what it says in verse, um, back in our text in Matthew chapter 20, notice what it says in verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them. The multitude had none. The multitude said, shut your mouth. The multitude said, hold your peace. The multitude said, well, would you be quiet? Well, we're trying to hear what Jesus is going to say. Would you be quiet? We're trying to concentrate on Jesus. Showed no compassion. Showed no mercy. You know, it's, it's a pitiful thing that Christians enjoy their Christianity, but yet they won't go across the street to tell someone about Jesus. They enjoy their Christianity. They enjoy their eternal security. Thank God for it. But you know, with that great privilege of being saved by the good grace of God, you have a responsibility to be a light and to be salt in your community. Amen. Amen. Here we see Jesus pitied him. He had compassion on him. He stood still. He passed by. He paused. But he didn't just look at him. Oh, you, you want your sight back? Sorry, I got too much on my mind, too much on my heart. I got old Calvary sitting in front of me in just a day or two. Oh no. He passed by, he paused, but then he actually had compassion upon these two men. And he gave them back their sight. He did something to meet their need. Thank God for the compassions of God. Jude chapter Jude verse twenty two says, and of some have compassion making a difference. If you'd have come to me, I, I, I was rude, arrogant, belligerent young man. And if you'd have come to me at the age of 22 as a lost man and said, Jesus loves you, and you tried to show compassion to me, I'd have laughed in your face. It took, it took a, a preacher full of the Holy Ghost preaching hellfire and brimstone to get my attention. But not everybody needs hellfire and brimstone. Some people need compassion. I struggle sometimes discerning that. But we need to have discernment with people. I need to have discernment with my preaching. Hellfire and brimstone all for it, but then sometimes people need compassion as well. And here we see Jesus. Jesus didn't mess around with some people. He laid it out straight, but others he showed compassion to. And we see that he showed pity. But then lastly this morning we see his power in verse 34. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Oh, here's these blind beggars. They've been sitting there their whole life. I don't know how old they've been. I don't know how long they've been sitting there. But for years, people had passed by and given them a few little bits of crumbs and a bit of money or maybe cussed them out or ridiculed them or mocked them or laughed at them, give them a little bit. But anyway, they'd survived up until this day. But here come Jesus. He passed by. He paused. He showed pity. But this man, this man, only this man out of all the multitudes that have ever passed by that way, this man and only this man, Jesus, had the power to give them their sight. I'm, I thank God for that day that Jesus passed by my way and that he paused with me and he showed pity with me, but I'm glad he had the power to raise me from death unto life and he changed, transferred me from darkness to life. He took me from being dead in my sin to being alive in Christ. He took me to be eternally damned, to have a life eternal in heaven. I um, thank God for the power of Jesus that's been evident and manifested and has been displayed in my life. 
and he met the needs of my soul. I was a spiritual beggar on the highway of life, but it took Jesus passed by my way to meet the spiritual needs that I had, and only he could do it, and I thank God for it. And then we see what they did after that. Immediately they received sight, they were different, and then they followed him. They followed him. And over in Mark chapter 10, in that last verse there, it said, then they all glorified him. Praise God. I remember that day, we're finished, but let me just say a couple of things. I'll hand over to Pastor Arthur. I remember that day, uh, it's just as clear as day when God saved me. It's right out there in the bush, in the middle of nowhere. God saved me. And uh, we're going to go into all the things that I was involved in, but I- I'm glad that, man, he changed me. From that very moment, he set me free. From that very moment, the, the, the sky was bluer. The flowers were prettier. The birds sang prettier. I mean, the burden was lifted off my shoulder. And I'd been set free by the power of Jesus. Thank God for the power of God in converting a soul. We've got away from it a lot. But salvation is a miracle. It's a miracle. It takes just as much power to give Bartimaeus his sight. It takes just as much power for that to happen as for a sinner to be converted from darkness to light. It takes the power of God. And if you've never experienced the saving power of God in your life today, you're still a blind beggar on the highway of life with all these desperate spiritual needs that you cannot meet yourself, what do you need to do? You need to meet Jesus. You need to meet Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time we've had in the Word. Thank you for your compassion. Oh, Lord, I'm so thankful for that day. You passed by my way, had mercy upon my sorry soul, and saved me. Lord, I'm so thankful. Thankful I'm a Christian. God, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church, for being attentive this morning.